We have come today in celebration, acknowledgement of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is a concept that's kind of hard to get our minds around, to think of Jesus Christ coming bodily from the dead. It is foreign to our experience, something that we have not witnessed. But yet, by faith, we know that it is true. Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus. They were believers. They are people who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, believed in his resurrection. But he prayed and he said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. There is a story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 6, of a... Syrian king that came against a city, Dothan, where Elisha and his servant were. And the great Syrian army surrounded this small town of Dothan. And when they woke up in the morning, Elisha's servant looked out and was just aghast at when he saw the Syrian army on their doorstep and wondered what in the world is going to happen. Elisha prayed and asked God to open his eyes that he might see. And surrounding the Syrian army was a host of chariots in the army of God that was going to defeat the Syrian army. Couldn't see them, but they were there. Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. For as much as we believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus... There is so much that is to be understood in connection with the work of the Lord Jesus when he rose from the dead that it is mind-boggling. And so we are hoping this morning that God would give us just a little clear uh, glimpse into this great power that was manifested and in particularly is directed towards us. Paul wants us to understand two things in this passage. One, to under, better understand God's resurrection power. And then secondly, to understand how that is uniquely directed towards us as believers. So we begin by looking at this resurrection power. Paul, later in Ephesians 3, verse 20 King James says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Anything that could even come into our connotation. So if it's more than what we can understand, again, how are we ever going to get our minds around it? Well, notice the way in which Paul describes God's power in Ephesians 119. The ESV describes it as immeasurable great power. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? The King James says, and what is the exceedingly greatness of his power? The NAS, what is the surpassing greatness of his power? Here to understand that surpassing greatness, God's power is demonstrated and illustrated in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verses 19 and 20. 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And now this, according to the working of his great might that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God's power is demonstrated, is seen in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's described as an immeasurable or surpassing power. Surpassing what? And the answer in the text is surpassing any other power that exists. Okay? It is far greater than any other power that one can contemplate, one can think about. And the greatness of that power is demonstrated in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it tells us in verse 21 that it is far above, meaning far superior, far greater than all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which has come. So I'd like to unpack those four references. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's power was seen to be far greater than those in position of power, which is meant by the word rule. Rulers, people who were in positions of power, such as Pilate, Pilate, who actually sentenced Jesus to death. And obviously, Jesus was able to overcome that sentence of death that was pronounced upon him by Pilate. Secondly, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's power was seen to be greater than those who are in places of influence. Places of influence. That's what is meant by the word authority. Like the scribes and Pharisees, they were influential people in their society. They didn't necessarily hold an office. They didn't necessarily have a particular position. And yet they had a tremendous influence. They swayed the multitudes. They were the ones that instigated the actual crying out for Jesus to be crucified and for Barabbas to be released. These same scribes and Pharisees were influential even after the death of the Lord Jesus in asking a guard to be placed at the tomb. In Matthew 27, 62, it says this, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said that while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. Here's your guard. Go and make that tomb as secure as you can. Well, of course, they couldn't secure that tomb. They couldn't keep the body of Jesus in that tomb, no matter how large an army they would have been given, no matter what resources would have been attributed to them, because God's power is a surpassing power. It was greater than the influence of the scribes and Pharisees. They couldn't keep him in the tomb. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
God's power was seen to be greater than that of the demons. For it says in verse 21, far above all rule, all authority, and now this word for power. The power here includes the power of the demons. It includes the power of the evil one. It includes the power of Satan. And if you remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 2, it tells us this, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, that's Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was in the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how might they betray him. And so Satan was active in having Jesus crucified. Satan wanted to see Jesus put to death. But the power of God is greater than the power of the evil one. Thirdly, God's power surpasses or is greater than uh, any uh, kingdom. Greater than any kingdom. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Dominion. Dominion is a kingdom over which there is an authority. A kingdom over which there is a, a king. A leader. And so this king has Many resources, but God's power is greater than any kingdom, greater than any earthly kingdom. The greatest power on the face of the earth in the time of Jesus was that of the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. For if you remember, when the guard went to the tomb, not only were they given soldiers... But it tells us this. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The sealing of the stone was a, a Roman seal. It was a, a waxed, imprinted statement that if anyone touches this tomb, they are answerable to the Roman government. They are going to have the wrath of the Roman government against them. But the entire Roman government, with all its authority, couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. It's greater than Satan's kingdom. Not only could Satan not keep him in the tomb, but Satan and all his demonic cohorts, everyone that was associated with the kingdom of Satan, couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. In John 16, it says, But I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the evil one is referred to as the prince of the power of this air. 
the ruler of this earth. And the ruler of this earth couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. Then it goes on to say that God's power is greater than any power that you can conceive of. Verse 21. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion. Now this. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So anything that's left out is still covered. Any name you can think of. Any power that you can conjure up. Real or imaginable. If you can think of a superhero, if you can think of an incredible kingdom, if whatever power that you can conceive of, real or imaginary, God's power is far greater than that. Okay, so whatever power you can come up with, whatever it is, God's power is greater. That's why you get to verse 20 of chapter 3, it says, far above anything we could ask or think. But now, what we want to see is that according to Ephesians, if you look with me at Ephesians 1, starting with verse 19, Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to, or in keeping with, his great might that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So now what we're to understand is that incredible resurrection power that we just talked about is directed towards people that believe. And we're to have our eyes opened to understand how that power has been directed and applied to us. So how has that power been applied and directed to us? That power is directed towards us or applied to us, meaning that God's power for us cannot be thwarted in keeping with that resurrection power. We need to understand <coughs> how that resurrection power is uniquely applied to us as the people of God. First, God directed that resurrection power toward us when he gave us spiritual life even though we were spiritually dead. Look at Ephesians 2. I'm going to take you on a walk through Ephesians. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of an undertaking this morning. But uh, I want you to, to see how this is applied. Verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead. In which you once walked, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were following the evil one. You were a part of his kingdom. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved. So the first way in which that resurrection power has been applied to us is that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's power was at work in you, for you were spiritually dead. You were incapable of making any move towards God. You were under the influence of the evil one. You were walking according to the course of this world, the way in which your mind works, but by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So we're to understand that God gave us this gift, and this gift is life. We believe because we've been regenerated. We believe because God gave us life. And not only did God give us life, but notice verse 6. And raised us up with him. And notice the past tense. Raised us up with him. Not he will raise us. He has raised us. So that when Jesus came forth from the grave, and then when he ascended into heaven... The scripture says, we ascended with him. In the mind of God, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. In the mind of God, when Jesus died on that cross, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you were in view. He died for you. He died that you would have life. And he gave you that life, that resurrection life. And not only did he give you resurrection life, but he placed you in the heavenly places. And not only did he place you in the heavenly places, but God directed that resurrection power toward us so that when he seated us in the heavenly places, when Jesus was seated in the heavenly places, verse 6, and seated us, again past tense, with him in the heavenly places in Christ, meaning it's a done deal. He raised us and seated us with him. And the word seated connotates the idea that the work is done. There's no other work for us to do. In the mind of God, we are assured that we are going to be in the presence of God. God directs that resurrection power toward us so that in the future ages to come, we will experience the riches of his grace. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The reason that we are seated in heavenly places is so that we can participate in all the riches of his grace for eternity future. Ephesians begins with verse 3 when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Not will bless us, has blessed us has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Our spiritual blessings, the great majority of them are still yet future. The great majority of the spiritual blessings are going to be had when we are in the very presence of God. 
But those spiritual blessings have already been attained for us. Already been attained for us. Listen to the words of 1 Peter when it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We already saw that. By his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Paul said, I pray that you would know three things. What is the hope of his calling? The fact that God has called you, the fact that God has saved you. That you would know what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. You'd understand these future blessings that are yours. And you would understand that all this is a result of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That you would know that the power that's displayed in the resurrection is the power behind your call to salvation. And you wouldn't understand that the power that's behind the resurrection of Christ is the power that guarantees that inheritance, which is incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. You're going to experience it. You're going to experience it. And then lastly, God directs that resurrection power toward us so we can accomplish his will and purpose for our lives. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God before prepared that we should walk in them. Ephesians 1.12, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That we would show forth the power of God. Ephesians 3.7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you would understand, okay, here it is. Here is... This power that's displayed in Jesus. Jesus had power over every entity. Nothing could keep him in the tomb. And then God raised him from the dead and sat him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So having understood that power, then there's two applications in the book of Ephesians. The first is understanding that power. Let us call upon God as we seek to live for him. Turn with me to Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So now we are to pray for God to use that power, that resurrection power, to give us victory in our daily lives as we seek to live for him. 
We are to call upon him to be strengthened in the inner man. That inner resolve, that desire, that it would be greater than just our own resolve, it would be greater than our own desire, but we call upon God who has this power that's far above anything that we could ask or think that was displayed in the resurrection and now ask him to help us live a godly life. And the second application is that with that understanding, may we rely upon his power and strength to accomplish his purpose and not our own meager power or strategies. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. What I want to just show you is that this understanding is essential to the entire book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, here's the last application. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, so the last thing is, be strong in the Lord. Rely upon God. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Understand who we wrestle with. Understand who the battle is. Understand that we are helpless in changing the world in which we live. We are helpless in keeping ourselves saved. We are helpless in the battle against sin, even in our own lives. But in Jesus Christ, we're victorious. He can do what we cannot do. Therefore, rely upon him. Understand that we wrestle not just against even earthly powers, but we actually wrestle against spiritual powers. Therefore, rely upon him. There are so many earthly strategies, ways in which people try to achieve the purpose of God, try to be innovative, try to be clever, try to be new, try to be persuasive. All those things ultimately are going to fail. The only thing that can conquer sin and death is the power of God. And we're to understand that power. We're to try to get a, a grip on what Jesus really did when he rose from the dead. How he overcame all these powers that wanted to see him stay in that grave. And that power that brought him out from the grave is now the power that is directed towards us as people of God. First in saving us, and secondly in keeping us. And so we are going to be in his presence forever and ever. Understand the hope with which he called you. Understand the future inheritance. And understand the power that is at work. Uh, people, 
We have a great deal to rejoice in this morning as we think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And as we think about that resurrection, I, I trust that, that God would enable us, that he would give us the faith to rely upon that power to be an incredibly changing influence in our lives. So in closing, I would just simply say to you this morning, first of all, if you have never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you've never come to realize that, that you need forgiveness for your sins, and you haven't come to the realization that, that in my power, I'm never going to stop being the kind of person that I am. I need God's help uh, to change and transform my life. Then I invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus today. Uh, he has the power to forgive. He has the power to deliver. I say to us as people of God today, let us not look to ourselves, but let us look to him. Let us understand that power. Let us understand, first of all, our salvation was not of ourselves. It was a gift of God. He was the one who opened our eyes. May we understand that and with boldness proclaim the gospel to other people, knowing that it is God that will open their eyes. It's not going to be clever tricks. It's not going to be our persuasiveness. It's not going to be our approach. It's not going to be the words that we say. It's going to be the power of God. Because you can't argue a dead man into faith. Before a person can believe, they have to be given life. And that life comes through his word. So proclaim his word. And people will believe. And trust that that word is going to transform the world in which we live. Therefore, go forth, believing in that power of God to change our society, to change our world, to change our lives, to change our families. Don't look to ourselves, but look to the resurrection power of God, for he can make the difference. We're going to sing what is a, a great, great, great hymn. We already sang it in our, our first service, but I wanted to sing it again, because it's a, it's a hymn of triumph. Up from the grave he arose. And uh, it talks about that, that triumph that I've been trying to express. So I ask that with all the gusto we can, I'd like to have these rafters shake. Uh, sing joyfully, boisterously, uh, up from the grave he arose. Brother, if you come and, and lead us. <laughs>